Welcome back to another episode of Talking Touring with me, Craig Leach, and the beautiful Liam Sexton. <laughs> uh, big shout out to everyone to start with uh, the recommendations of guests to come on and come and have a chat with us. Um, it's so nice that even though we're not allowed to tour, we still get the opportunity to chat and make new friends. So keep them coming in. We can't thank you enough for that. Um, this week on Talking Touring, we have one of my favorite humans in the whole world um his name is chris barker but most of you probably know him better as chris number two from the the punk band anti-flag uh anti-flag of plenty of touring stories and touring experience with a with a career that is i mean it's a long one they've been around for fucking ever um and we had a lot of fun doing this one uh we talked about tour hacks tour tour tips we did um veganism on tour we did uh, a bit of back in the backstory of of how how anti-flag were touring in the early days and then they had this great opportunity to go in and work with with rage against the machine on um on a couple of their shows and how that kind of shaped the future of the way the band learned about being on stage and in front of that many people so it, it was a real journey this one and uh i hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed chatting with chris so uh yeah thanks again for coming to talking toying and uh, i hope you enjoy it professional right. <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a great start well solid uh, beginning chris welcome to talking touring the greatest podcast about touring in the world how does it feel to finally be here <laughs> you know i feel honored um uh you know uh, i thought of any of the people in our world, Craig, that you would have pulled for this, it wouldn't have been me. So it's nice <laughs> that, uh, you know, maybe the phones just aren't answering the way they once were and you're just far down the line. <laughs> Different world out there now, I swear. You know yeah. what, like, the best bit about all this is is that that feeling I'm getting right now where I'm excited to see your faces is like when you land in Europe for that first time at the start of a tour and it's just like, <laughs> let's get this next adventure on the go. It is a really great um, thing. And I'm not so sure, because I feel like we are an anomaly in the sense that like, we on, you don't tour with us on every tour, but every time we're yeah. in Europe, you're there. So there's this weird thing where it's like you come into the world and it breathes new life into it. So even if we're on the same, you know, touring, playing the same set, doing the same thing we were doing in the States for three months, and then we land, it's like, Oh no, there's somebody new and it's exciting. Again. It makes it it's easier. It's a whole different type of carnage again, isn't it? It's exactly. Just like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All the organization just goes to tits as soon as you land in Europe. That's great. <laughs> That's fair. It's oh, like going uh, away to your, your stepdad's house and it's like, oh, there's no rules here. Yeah. Stepdad's yeah. in town. No bedtime. He doesn't care how many fucking cookies you eat. Yeah. Yeah. You're off <laughs> exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> so too, you've been you've been touring for donkey's years and you've got you've got stories about touring with some of the greatest bands in the whole world all like from you've got hundreds of them and we can't go through all of them but what i want to know is just a few little ones and i think everyone would like to know it it's like when you when you went on that first tour with rage against the machine mm -hmm. and you got to see that band perform like that that close every day and become friends with them yeah how did that shape the way that you and the rest of the guys started touring and like did it did it actually shape and mold like a future touring way for you guys at all well 100 first off i'm supposed to gloss over uh been touring for donkeys of years what is that's not a, a sentence. <laughs> totally legitimate sentence <laughs> 
right. Well, then glossing over a new uh, lexicon uh, for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... There were a lot, I mean, there were an, an immense amount of um, both good and bad growing pains that went on um, very quickly because it, it, it was an interesting um, moment in our lives where we had just done what was probably, it was certainly the most violent um, tour we have done it's not maybe the most scared we've ever been we've been in a, several situations where people want to kill us because we're called anti-flag <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah specifically you know post 9 11 touring was really difficult for that mm -hmm. but up until that point in 1999 um we were doing a tour with the dropkick murphys that that band wasn't quite i mean they weren't anywhere near the stratosphere that they're in mm -hmm. now in terms of um, how big they are, but they were, we were both really growing in the punk rock scene and, and they had this more nationalist skinhead crowd, uh, oi type of vibe and yeah. anti fun had a lot of Mohicans and we were fucking punks and dirty and stinky. And, and somebody thought it was a good idea to put those two worlds together. Um, and, for the most part, it worked great. And then we started to get more and more South uh, in the States. And that's whenever, you know, literal neo-Nazis were coming out to the shows and we were stopping every two songs. And it just was really arduous time. And there were people that were just like, you'd see them, they'd look at the kid, they'd have an anti-flag shirt on and bam, they'd get <laughs> punched right in the mouth. And so you're watching this happen and you feel really bad that you're subjecting your audience to it. And, um, it was really, it was really difficult. And, and from that, uh, the neck, literally the next thing we got offered were these dates with Rage Against the Machine that were already on sale, already sold out. They didn't need to add anybody. They were just like, oh yeah, you got some space. And somehow Morello had found one of our records and tracked us down and called us to do the tour. And, awesome. you know, he's got like these great stories about, you know, the first time the Wu-Tang clan went out with rage against the machine, they show mm -hmm. up to the show with seven limousines and they're like, what are you doing? And they're like, yeah, we're <laughs> on tour. And they're like, you can't dr like drive a limousine. Like to go to show. They have to teach him all these things. And I feel like he's got a similar barrage of stories about Anti-Flag who shows up in this like U-Haul truck that they've built bunks and it's like <laughs> super savage. And was it um, proper sketchy then your 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 first van? Well, that wouldn't have been your first van. Oh no, it wasn't our it first. Been... It, was, it was what we thought was our first like big boy touring uh truck. Yeah. And so we bought a box truck. Um, and then we built six bunks in it. Um, subsequently, the the truck leaving that Dropkick Murphy store, which we left early because we we couldn't do it um, anymore. Um, it killed almost killed Justin. He got carbon monoxide poisoning from the box truck. It was leaking right Fuck. into. The I was going to say like that that can't be safe at all if you've got oh, bunks no. in the back. <laughs> Fuck no! It's like you're going to die straight away. Anyone fucking opens that door, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, just going from literal punk basements um, across, we had not toured outside of the States yet. Um, so we were playing, you know, 200 shows a year in America. So that meant we were just going any and every Jesus. way we yeah. could go. And then you show up the first show, it's in Philadelphia at the first Union Center, um, which is a hockey arena, which is a big deal to me because I really mm -hmm. love ice hockey and, 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 and see those, you know, buildings and structures sort of as religious temples. <laughs> so I like to kind of come yeah. and see what I can see. And um, yeah. so, so we go from literal, you know, 
the tour we were on before, I remember this, that we played a venue called 17 Nautical Miles. And I remember the name 17 Nautical Miles because there were 17 people at the show. (laughs) And then we went from that tour, same tour, to 17,000 people in Philadelphia in that first show. They oversold the arena. It was a really crazy thing where, um, you know, because Rage Against the Machine just has one backdrop. They don't have anything on the wings. So they opened yeah. up side seats. So I, I distinctly remember turning around to tune my bass and looking. There's some people the, there. There was people behind us. And there was more people than I had played to behind me. That's <laughs> like, That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking um, cool, man. So there were a lot of, of, you know, those good growing pains where you just have to figure out, do I know how to do this? Like, like it was trial yeah. by fire. You know? And it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like the places were empty at the beginning. I mean, they were full. And so um, we, for some, I think the politics had a lot to do with it. And, and, and the the show was a much more unrefined version of what it is now in terms of how we speak and what we do. Um, But we were trying, we were learning how to be the band we are now. And and so it had a lot of Mm -hmm. similarities and that connected really well. And, you know, at the drive-in did the other half of those dates and they had to be introduced every night by Della Roca. They had to... Because no one gave a shit or... They got, yeah, they were getting booed off the stage every day. Um, oh, no way. So in that respect, you know, the Rage team was really excited that we were not problematic. <laughs> That's yeah. It's yeah. like, come in, do your job, and then left. Yeah, like, yeah. didn't but cause them also, any difficulty. I remember, you know, Pat eating catering that was not for us. And, Uh, you know, like a crew set up morning catering and we did the major faux pas, which was, you know, start eating breakfast that belongs to guys that have been there for five more hours than us and working much (laughs) harder than us. (laughs) And so, you know, again, it was like, don't do that. And, and yeah, I remember distinctly having conversations like how do we react to this stuff we can we can double down on being punk and be like fuck you fuck your rules we we want to eat or we (laughs) and um thankfully we opted to be nice um uh, because it's we've now had the antithesis of that experience and and uh craig you've been there a few times where we have oh, I've been there. <laughs> the, the band out with us who's not done anything but that base yeah. touring and then you're like okay well this is you got to get you, sh- you got to get your shit off the stage in the right amount of time you got to do these things and yeah, yeah. come yeah. across as if we we're trying to Im- Im- impart hierarchies and systems like that on people but really it's about it's bigger than it's just how it works. It's how it's, it works, it's but it's also how it works. that person who was there five hours before everybody to unlock the door that they go home on time. That they, you know, like yeah, yeah. You, you're caring about more. It's not just like so. Anti flag has a good show. Do this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. don't give a fuck about that. It's more about yeah. yeah. The, 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 the so you were saying that like you were refining the show like on those big shows. Like obviously, it wasn't just. One day you were in, well, it it was exactly that. You were one day in a basement and then the next day in an arena. And like, I see your show now 100 times a year and it's super active and you guys are running around and you're jumping off everything. And like, was that your first opportunity to jump off an 8x10 or were you doing that before or...? Yeah, I think I was doing that before. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, very... We played a show um, with with some band who shall name remain nameless. Um, not be- because they're bad, but because of what went through my mind was kind of a dickheadish thing. But, <laughs> but I watched the guy in the band climb up something really big and it was a really epic moment in the show. And then, who know, this is. <laughs> well, the show ended and then he just climbed down. And I thought to oh. myself, like, well, that was, was- anticlimactic. And if I put it on it, I have to jump off of it. That's my rule. <laughs> so, 
it began yeah it became that was part of it really early but like i said it was never um you know there was we never had the same gear twice we never had the same you know so all of that yeah. even through the that first bit of touring was like that too you know um and i don't think i had an 810 for a while uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it took I me can't a while imagine you doing it for four by ten i don't think you would have the <laughs> same rolling cube I was actually doing it off of on that tour was Morello's wedges because he's got this side stack that is essentially like two eight by tens next to each other. They had, and they've calmed it down over the last couple years. I think the last like run of shows they did, they piecemealed that out, but Rachel's machine Mm -hmm. has a PA on stage for the band. And Awesome. Which is why it's they're the sickest band to watch on stage because it's like a mix. Um, they're in the show, mm-hmm. yeah. They're in the show, and 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 that is another thing that we took from them too. Where where we've been pushed to go, um, you know, you'll be better with with ears. You'll sing better with da da da. And yeah. I just keep coming back to the best live band in the world is Rage Against the Machine, and and. They don't have any just tits on stage. They've got yeah, they've got one four by twelve. It's nothing fancy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, oh, well, I if they can do it, we'll do that. Um, it is insane. Like with idols, I've just been with. We have a very similar setup. I think we've got like what four, eight, ten, twelve. I think fourteen wedges and side fills, or did have on stage for yeah. every single show. Which is amazing because you really fucking feel it when you get on the stage. You can really yeah. feel that show. But as the tour manager, it's a fucking nightmare because every time you get to a festival, I just get harassed by the production team for of the course. fucking savagery of the fucking volume. And I just, yeah. it's horrible. It, well, and, uh, you know, again, I think that like, where they're going, they're in control of everything. So that, that yeah. makes a bit yeah. more sense. <laughs> in their world yeah. but mm. for, for for me i just it there is something about it feeling real and being mm-hmm. in the moment now uh, you know i um filled in for a little bit um with taking back sunday who all wear ears and i oh like, nice and like I enjoyed that. It sounded great. It was sick to know every note that you're doing. And, you know, you, you're, it's a different experience. So one's not right. And one's not wrong. It's just, you know, in terms of what I remember most about the show and what I remember most about being Mm -hmm. that a lot of times when you're trying to support your friends or you're watching a show from side stage, you're just kind of, watching the crowd or experiencing the thing you're not yeah. really you might get a little you're, you're you're listening to the drums because that's the only thing you can hear or whatever <laughs> yeah this is not that experience this is like shit this band is fucking loud and they're right here and i and it's a mix on stage it really is and and uh, i 100 percent have to see that band live before i die like that's you got I just I'm, uh, yeah, I, I actually was offered tickets to that free show they did in oh, in oh, London in Finsbury Park, yeah. and uh, I couldn't go. And yeah, I've never been, I, I regret that so fucking much. Well, they were meant to be reading a lead this year as well, or yeah. last year even. Sorry, yeah, um, which would have been amazing, but unfortunately not. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know if they've uh, signed up again for doing it on the second time so. around. But yeah, fingers crossed. I really, really hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that they'll be a part of whatever the major comeback is that helps everybody get back to real life. That's very uh, good. Yeah, I that's think very so. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favorite things about touring with you guys in Anti-Flag is that every time we turn up at a festival site, you guys know everyone. <laughs> it's always <laughs> somebody's there, some friends there, be it from... 20 years ago or from two yeah. years ago. Um, and how how do you kind of maintain those relationships? Like, how often do you see someone like Tom Morello? And when you see him on a festival site, is it just straight back to it? Or does it take a while to kind of ease back into that friendship? Or or is it just there? Like, I mean, I, I don't see Liam for a year and it's fine. Yeah. I don't see you for a year and it's fine. So I presume mm. it's the same, but... 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, what you're just what you're talking about, A is perspective and age and 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 you know, you do something long enough to know um the value of people and that thing that we talked about the very the very beginning about just trying to be kind in that moment so that you're respectful of what, who's around you because people are seen mm-hmm. and and that will impact those relationships that you have 10 15 20 years down the road where um where people will remember having a positive experience with you and that yeah. will endear you to them um it's 100 percent what i've missed the most from 2020 is those those random interactions with yeah with friends i call them friends of course like from from all over the world and i miss that that's what i miss more than the gigs and all of that i mean i miss yeah that, obviously, but... i guess for me it's 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 i know that it's going to happen so i haven't yeah. resigned like i haven't I, I, and I, I have a lot of empathy for people who are struggling um, because of this, whether it's financially, whether it's uh, emotionally, whether it is physically with actually contaging uh, uh, COVID or knowing people that have been affected by it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't want that to be lost in any of this, but I also know that this, what we're doing right now also feels like a tour to me just feels like we're yeah. on a really long tour by ourselves and when yeah. we <laughs> pick back up and everything's going to go. So um, in that respect, the one thing that you do know is that there are people who can handle your absences and then there are some who can't. And those relationships, you have to have honest conversations with each other about what you can give that person. If somebody needs from me a phone call every day and they don't tell me, um, they can't get mad at me when they don't get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just have yeah. to like be open about that, you know, um, uh, because, yeah, you're you're just you're on a treadmill or you're treading water 90 percent of the time when you're on the road and uh-huh. you, you, you things get missed and things get lost. And that doesn't mean you don't love or care about somebody. It just means that. Of course, yeah. It is very difficult to manage that for sure when you're away on the road. Like there are times I've been touring and, you know, I might not have have, uh, phoned or even sent my girlfriend a message for a full day. And that's really difficult for her when she's at home and has to deal with that. Like, oh, you're just not talking to me today. And when I eventually do, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Today has just been a nightmare. Like it's not that you're not important. It's just that things have gotten out of control today. Yeah, It's very difficult to manage that. And I think that, you know, that whether it's in relationships or I had, I've had, you know, acquaintances, friends who have gotten mad mm. at me. I did a tour and I didn't talk to them for the three months I was gone or whatever. And they're like, yo, that's a shitty thing to do. And I'm like, well, now I know I'm going to try to do yeah. better. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah, it, and I might not be the right kind of friend for you. I might not be able to provide what you need. Um, yeah. uh, and and then that just comes back to being communicative and you know obviously doing being in a band and having normal relationships is not um they don't harmoniously exist uh and, no they definitely don't and i don't think uh, any of us would be here talking to each other if we were okay you know like like we're here because we're a bit broken and we're searching to fill yeah. void. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. That, yeah, it's absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, all of that I think is 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 it comes down to what you're looking for, you know. And and for me, I feel like we have a very specific agenda and a goal with what we're doing with the band Anti Flag that helps ease the pain of a lot of these other things that Mm -hmm. if we were a brand new band, I'm not quite so sure we could cut it right now. Um, But because we're focused on this overarching goal and the community that surrounds the band is very important to us. Those two things aid the, the pain that comes with leaving the people you love all the time or, um, you know, losing relationships because you can't provide things that people need from you. If that makes sense. Yeah, like the the wins almost out, outweigh the losses in some way, essentially. You you hope you hope it, it's dangerous. Yeah. 
it's dangerous to count because sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be keeping a tally. That's not going to look good. <laughs> I think it's like Steve Martin talks about Eve doing comedy in his book, and he says you have you get one good show a week, and that good show gives you the energy to get through the six days that are shit. And yeah. I mean, that's the same with with all of us. You know, you have w- the one great moment that reminds you why you do it and why you tire You're yourself this madness yeah <laughs> yeah with that in mind actually then so this is probably quite a good question that um has just come up so when was the last time that you had that on a, on a tour on a show when was the last time you you felt that this is absolutely worth it this is the moment the the golden moment that that kind of solidifies everything for me i can't remember the name of the city um, but it was on our January tour that we just did um, mm-hmm. for the third. And we were playing a new song and the, it, so, it starts with a, like a sound clip and the lights went down and the sound clip hit and people reacted to the sound clip that was a new song in a very positive way. They were excited about it. And, it and I... Brilliant. It, it, it was... Was it the one for me was the it was like a circular dome. It sounded like shit in the room. Um, it was a really big German show. Um, well, there's no need for that. I try my best. <laughs> right? Unbelievable. So you'll get a few more meat bags in the room. You'll be all right, mate. A few more yeah. bodies in there, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you would need to go back to 1910 when they built the building. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this was this was not user error. This was uh, yeah. uh, architectural, you know. Uh, <laughs> See, I find that with um, I find touring is is it's 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 a very long, drawn out process. But as soon as we're doing the show, that's when I go, all that bullshit, all that flight crap, all that visa stuff. I just kind of switch off from it, and then I love mixing a show, and and that's something we've spoken about a few times on this. Is like me and Liam both dual role, and it's something I would never ever not do now because. <laughs> I love being part of the show as well on tour because oh I definitely don't do a role anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I'd list, I just want a tour manager. I don't want a tour manager and be the fucking guitar tech anymore. It's yeah. so fucking difficult. Yeah. Amazing. Because we we've had for the most part, um, and I think that it's because the tour manager side is a it's a loose very difficult job. Yeah, but it's also a loosely service-based job. And that's where when you do it for a really long time, you become such good friends with the people you're doing it for that when your friend turns to you and says, hey, I forgot something that's really fucking stupid and mundane, you react to that differently at year 10 than you do at year one because you know that person and you can be like, yo, you're a fucking idiot. And then- that's when everything mm-hmm. starts to come to a head. So we yeah. all we have to like remind ourselves what we're doing and what we're all pulling on the same rope. And and yeah. much like that person in the band who had the ridiculous request needs to be reminded, hey, I'm not a fucking gopher. You also yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this weird thing happens. Um, where what I found is 99% of the dual rule. 99.9% of the dual role in our life has been tour manager front of house. And yeah. 99.9% of those people, and Craig might fall into that 0.1%, well, t- only time will tell, <laughs> eventually <laughs> they just let me do sound. I don't want to, yeah. you guys, I don't want to look at, I don't want to look after you anymore. And I think that's not a particularly unique to anti-flag problem, but I no, do. not at all. Yeah. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with our familiarity with each other. Once you get to that level, yeah, because I feel like the way I, for example, the way that we tour together, it's more of a we all know what's happening. You guys know what's being dealt with. I know what you guys are doing, and it's just kind of like we don't even have to interact as much sometimes because we know that certain areas are sorted. Whereas, yeah, in those first few years when you're fucking jumping through hoops and keeping tabs on anyone that's that that can be really difficult to do well yeah and 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 thankfully i feel like we have grown up 
ourselves in the band and we know to take advantage of things or use and, and it's not even like it's a malicious thing it's a you don't think because um you know the relationship's new you're just asking the question you're doing whatever but someone might hop to doing something that they're uncomfortable with because your yeah. relationship is new and they're not ready yeah. to you know, hey uh, this i don't want this to be part of my job you know um yeah. and then there are some things where it's like you know like for me i don't and i'll, I'll just use anti-flag as an example because it's our world but i don't put my wet clothes in the trailer it's just not a thing that i've ever done um i tend to uh try to like clean it all up at the venue before the show so that no one has to deal with my shit but I know that Justin and Pat put their sweaty shit in the trailer and nine times out of 10, I see Mark or Eric or sometimes Craig carrying it. And I think to myself, I wouldn't ask my friend to do that. <laughs> I get like a, my nose gets up a little bit and I'm like, I'm so much better than them. <laughs> I think you might be the first musician that I've heard of that doesn't put their wet clothes in the trailer or in the bus bay, to be honest. So that's pretty fucking amazing. But, but it's like this little thing that just shows you, I mean, the psychology behind what we're doing is so fucked. No people mm. are meant to go, you know, you put 10 human beings in a fucking tin can and shove them around the planet. Like nobody's meant to do this, you know? And so yeah. no. the weird you know, Stanford prison experiment things where we're fucking testing on each other, pushing the limits of our friendships always. You know, it's really, it's a really insane, when you break down what being in a band is, it's really insane. Um, it and, is wild. Yeah. yeah. And so I just think it's so funny to me to like, I distinctly know, like I'll be doing something so dumb like fucking shooting hockey pucks at a trash can while the band, while the crew's setting up the stage and Craig's trying to do real work. And I'm just like, wow, making all this terrible noise. Doing and then I see one of the guys holding clothes and I'm like, I'm so much better than you. <laughs> do you remember that time I nearly killed that barman when I tried to play hockey yeah. with you? <laughs> that was true. I was think that, yeah. What did you but, do, Craig? What happened? He the, shot um, it, yeah, it was Bill. Was it Bill from Silverstein and you were just mm -mm. fucking around? No, it was Punk and Drublick. It was me and Melvin, and we were shooting, right. were shooting hockey balls. And the this bar was double sided, and so the the venue was outside, and they, yeah. they were bartending facing the outside. There's an indoor venue that the double bar also faces that was shut down for yeah. the day where you're using as the backstage. So we're in the club sh shooting hockey balls and Craig says, give me a go. And he Whilst rips everybody else is building drum kits and like big stuff <laughs> and rolling rises. It hits off the wall. It goes flying into the bar, the double-sided bar whizzes by the barkeep's face. And then he's like, he's like, yo guys, he re give, thankfully returns our ball the next shot was Melvin and he put it nearly the same place. And the guy, was like, <laughs> oh, he was, so all, he was ultimately French as well. And he was like, yeah. no more. He shut it down. Obviously I'd like being in the band as well. You're also very much involved in all the, business side of everything as well um and that that includes af records to an extent right so yeah how, i tried how, to... how go ahead how do you how do you run that side of the business or, or like i know that there's a team there but can you explain that a little bit how that there is a team behind anti-flag as well that's kind of helping with the other side of the business whilst whilst you're on tour yeah so so basically you know, 2004, we did, um, uh, it was actually late 2003, maybe we did a tour called the Rock Against Bush tour, um, yep. which went to swing states 
leading up to the 2004 election. So it would have been 2004. The election was in November. Um, and uh, we needed somebody to help us organize the activism side of the tour. And because every day we were going to um, union groups, we were going to um, uh, 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 uh college campuses, just wherever we could go and disseminate literature on why voting against George Bush would be a good idea. And so in that, we needed an organizer for our activism. And we found this kid, Jesse Jones, who was maybe 16 at the time and just particularly organized. And he kept us on task and made sure we got from place to place. And you know, you choose a 16 year old kid because you're a punk band and you don't have any money and he wants to do it. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> like, okay, there you go. Um, did I think that he would be with us 17 years later? No, but now Jesse runs the day to day for anti flag, um, and has since 2004. So, um, in there, we also, um, we're running the record label and everything was great until 2008 when people stopped buying records, we needed to figure out what yep. we do. And we just kind of let it go dormant. You know, there were a few anti-flag releases that came out digitally, but for the most part, other than anti-flag merch mail order, that was all we were doing out of AF records. Um, and uh, I played in a band called White Wives, and I met this kid named Chris Stowe, and he was tremendously organized as well. And so he, we wanted to do an anti-flag seven inch. And, and I just said, I think that Chris is really organized. We should let him handle releasing this seven inch. The dog's going to snort the entire <laughs> She sounded so happy then. Yeah. <laughs> she had a great time. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, we just kind of gave him the management of releasing an anti-flag seven inch and he did a great job. And so then that snowballed into another thing. And then he said, can I sign a band? And we were like, well, you know that nobody really wants records. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and basically we just kind of gave Stowe this plan where we said, okay, well, this is how much you make a year. Um, if you make that much money, running the label then you can run it forever you know basically mm -hmm. pay for yourself to be here everything you make on top is great good work um and that's what he's been doing ever since and i, I think that now is 10 years ago that we really kicked the label back up so um wow. we're all still involved i mean craig you know this because you deal with it but you know pat and jesse handle the money they look at all of those things um chris head who plays guitar at anti flag he is the uh, ruler of all things art-wise. So um, even if we do commission somebody to, you know, create artwork for a record or T-shirts or whatever, it all filters through head. He um, mm. is kind of like the art director of Anti-Flag. Um, Justin and myself write the music, um, uh, and that kind of is our contribution to the band. But we also try to, you know, split up the roles of whether it's the political activism side, what organizations we're working with. Um, mm -hmm. And then I tend to do more of the big picture business of the band where I yeah. talk to management mostly to figure out what our year will look like or what our goals are for that year. And yeah, that was... You're always on your laptop just working away as well, as is Chris said. There's always so many cogs turning in 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 a band the size of Antiflag. Yeah, so going, to back going, to, yeah. going back to the first question, um, when we were on that Rage tour, there were several times that we pulled Tom aside and we really got to know him well when we were working on he he like executive produced um a record of ours called the terror state and oh, I didn't know uh, that. wow and doing that he told me about the beginning of raging as machine and that they set these you know these yearly goals for themselves and they would be you know as insane like they had paint the white house black on <laughs> their goal list but then they also had <laughs> you know, sell 10,000 copies of their album, you know? So 
it was you want to have these realistic goals laid out in front of you so that when the calendar year ends and you look back and you say, okay, well, we didn't paint the White House black this year, but we did do X, Y, and Z. So to look at this mm-hmm. year as failure is wrong. And I think that that's one thing that bands don't do. Um, everybody is comparing themselves to each other. Everybody is is hoping and waiting mm-hmm. 100% more than they have at this moment. And we really um, have made it, especially over the last 10 years, of a, a major point to reflect on our collective victories um, because that's what gives you the energy to keep going and, and to not feel like you are stagnant or not feel like um, mm-hmm. you know, this record didn't sell this many copies so it failed or nobody streamed this song this many times so it failed. That's not how it works. It, it works in a much bigger way where all of these things are scratching each other's back and so much of it is out of your control. So why stress and lose? Like pissed off about something you can't control. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, that came from rage. And then we had a, um, a manager when we were on the major in 2005 um and she didn't work out very well for us she was a bit she was a great manager and and did a lot of great things but um her style was a bit manipulative and and um we were pretty resistant to uh everything that was happening at that time because we were Mm -hmm. so protective of our band and what we had built and um, we wanted the label to be threatened by us and afraid of us and we wanted we didn't want them to think that they could suggest things for us to do Uh, and so in that there was a bit of friction through the whole process but she did talk she loved the rolling stones and one of the things that she talked about is that the rolling stones to this day still have designated roles for the members of the bands and that is where we kind of adopted this mantra of okay you know, if we have a discussion about money, Pat has the final say on that because he runs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a discussion on artwork. Head has the final say on that. Well, we have a discussion about big picture stuff. I have the final say on that. Justin handles the music side. So, like, that's how we work. And um, knock on and it wood, works. It's worked. Yeah. yeah this this. Yeah. I think that's really really good advice for younger bands for definitely because a lot of bands don't really see that um business side of it when you're first starting out like you say you're just you're just eager to get out there and play music and play shows and and get people to hear your music but realistically as you grow it is a business yeah you do have to handle it that way for definite and like i've worked with bands who do it similarly you know someone takes care of artwork someone takes care of like any video design someone takes care of the finances someone might just they might fill in as the tour manager for the band while they're on tour someone else might be like okay my realm is merch i make sure that everything's ordered and i'll be at the merch stand i'll get the sellers in everything else like that i think you like you just said you have to run it that way because you can't you can't do everything all together all the time because it's just too many cooks and 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 it's it's art. So there's no and it's art, yeah. There's no fucking right way, you know. And that like that's yeah. the part that gets lost in a lot of these discussions. And um, and you're absolutely right. Whenever I talk to any new band and they ask me what should we be doing, the number one thing I tell them to do is just set a list of goals, you know, whether it's six months or a year from now. And mm-hmm can be arbitrary things like we want 10,000 followers on Instagram. Like that's fine. You can still growth. Yeah. You have that goal, but you also just, the, the main thing for me is that if anybody creates anything and then they put it out into the world, it is a vulnerable thing to do. And Mm -hmm. here people go, this was a failure it always makes me just say, well, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're making music to sell it, like work at Starbucks. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's, it, I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be ambitious and shouldn't, you know, demand, frankly. Um, but it can't we, be soulless. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And, and mm. like, like I believe that, 
there should be an overarching uh, worldwide musicians union that is going up against the Spotify's of the world and demanding us to be paid fairly. Like my socialism runs into that world too. But I also think that oh, yeah. the, you don't pick up the guitar in the first place in your bedroom when you're 15 um, thinking about, you know, arguing over what percentage of a penny Spotify's paying you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not the first thing to your head, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's 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 about acknowledging those systems that are in place, but also recognizing that um, hopefully, what we're doing is creating things that will last longer than us, and that people will interact with for years to come, and and our worth and our value will not just be, you know, the the body that we're walking around in. I had a very similar conversation with someone not too long ago about something quite similar, which was like saying that even though if you're in a punk band, you know, at, at a core level, you, a lot of people would say you shouldn't be engaging with the system. You shouldn't be engaging with people like Spotify and Amazon music and things like that, because they're the, they're the fucking enemy. They're the devil. Yeah. But at some level you have to engage with a system in order to change that system. Or like you say, leave something for people to, grow into and then build from to change that system like i couldn't agree more when you say that there should be an overarching union yeah um protecting musicians and need, there definitely needs to be done more done on that front yeah um, um but i don't think a lot of people realize that you know it's great to have to, to stand proudly and state your morals and be angry and violent and and forceful with that um that kind of statement but you have to to make a change, you have to engage. It's no good just shouting about it. There are a lot of discussions that are happening right now, and rightfully so, around privilege and around yeah. the use of our voices and henceforth collective voices. Mm-hmm. So I, If somebody came up to me and said, yo, man, I make music for myself. I don't care if anybody ever listens to it. I don't want to sell it for a second. And they wrote fucking Born to Run Part Two, and it's the best song <laughs> in the world. I would be a bit heartbroken that they wouldn't want to share that in the best yeah. way that it could be shared. But that's their choice. So, you sure. know, comparable to we just had a, an election in the United States, and people are still a little bit mad about it. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> uh, but. There was a lot of, of, I don't know, it was given like vote shaming going around where if people were going yeah. to, from voting, people were like, how dare you do that? And I think it is one thing for a person of privilege to abstain from being a part of the process. But if another mm-hmm. person who, say, lives in Flint, Michigan, and hasn't had clean water for over 10 years and has seen a Democrat, yeah. Republican, both abandon them for cor- the corporations that have sold them out and left them to die yeah. and drink poison water. And they go, yo, fuck Joe Biden, fuck Donald Trump. I'm going to be like, yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. You know, so yeah. you, you've got a pretty solid point there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To believe that there is a one size fits all solution to all of this stuff, whether it's as, as big as you know, electoral politics or something as small as how do we disseminate the art that we create, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And so we have to be amicable with what the solutions are. And if you don't like the way anti-flag does it, there's a propaganda and a strike anywhere. And, a, you know, and, and, and people yeah. are essentially fighting for the same things, you know, um, empathy over apathy, optimism over cynicism, the end of all the isms that are out there. But, uh, you know, we're trying different things. Like, like I have always really, I've always believed in things that get me excited, then get my passion. And then my passion is what drives the, 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 the change that we seek. So this idea that anti-flag exists to make the revolution irresistible to people. I want it to be as the catchiest song it can be. I want it to be the coolest show they can see because I want to leave people with an energy and a belief that a better world is possible. Um, but that's just how we we do it. You know, that's not the mm-hmm. right 
they are the only way. Uh, it's just one way. Having seen your live show, uh, I think you definitely do achieve that quite well, to be honest. I think huh. the, the last time I saw you guys was, was it Birmingham? Late last year, Craig, I came to that show. Was it last year? No, no, that that was uh, January <laughs> 2020. Yeah. What yeah. fucking year is it now? Oh my god, yeah. it's 2021. So yeah, <laughs> that, was, yeah that, that was the day that you bought um, Satan wings, and we ate them on the bus in about did, yeah, eight yeah, yeah, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good day. It's a good day any day. Yeah, excellent. Which actually is a good next question. Um, to be, you guys are all vegan, right? Everyone in Antifax vegan. No, so just Pat and I are vegan. Chris Head's. Oh, sorry, I thought you all were. Yeah, Chris Head's mostly vegan. His 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 wife is probably the strictest vegan um, mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh in all of the city. And uh, <laughs> um, so, but but like me, I'm like a junk food vegan. I want, I oh, want, yeah, totally. Like Big Mac, yeah. And so I don't think the head gets a lot of that when he's at home because uh, they eat like healthy yeah. rabbits and shit. So when he's, <laughs> or he's like eating potato chips and mozzarella sticks and like breaking all the rules. So just um, living his fucking dream. Amazing. Yeah. So that must and, be now yeah. being vegan on tour, yeah. I guess, is like, like you said, if you're a junk food vegan, must be a delight compared to like touring um late 90s early noughties and trying to like not just survive off pasta and tomato sauce dude it's not even it's like a thing where sometimes you know when my malicious side comes out i feel like if you're in a band in 2021 you have to tour europe and only eat potato chip sandwiches for like three months before you're allowed to go like a lock on the door of Temple of Satan. And it's like, oh, yeah, oh, uh, you're on a band? Okay, cool. Um, have you eaten your prerequisite <laughs> amount of uh, uh, backstage gumbo goulash that somebody made? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then I go, well, this is an exciting time to be alive. All of these things are here. Let people enjoy them. Um, but sometimes my cynicism wins and I want to be mad. Oh, yeah, at I can imagine. Yeah, you've not been in your ten thousand hours, you motherfucker. You need to put <laughs> your ten thousand hours. <laughs> Back in my day, we had to use Happy Cow to find the one vegan restaurant in the city. Walk ten miles to find out it was closed down for three. Years. <laughs> and then end up back the subway eating a fucking lettuce sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> so could you? Uh, could you do a top five vegan spots in Europe? Do you reckon? In Europe, okay. That's pr- so. Basically, that's- we're talking touring. We have a bit of a top five section, and we are oh. just slowly going to ease into that now. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best here. Um, I think it's closed down, but there was talk that they're going to reopen. Yellow Sunshine in Berlin. Um, Ooh. put it up there. Temple of Satan in London. Yes, uh, the, it's in Munich. It's a really fancy restaurant. I want to say it's called Green. Maybe. Sounds like I've heard of that one. Yeah, um, it's really good. It's, that's three. Um, Difficult, right? We went for burgers in Manchester one time. I remember that. V Revs, V Revs Diner yeah. in uh, in Manchester. That's good place is good. Um, that place is good, but never ever sit in and eat because the service is like yeah. trash. The food is amazing, but like they just ignore you the whole time you're in that restaurant. Um, I don't know the name of it. It's an Asian place, also in Berlin. And it is like right. It's right near Yellow Sunshine, right near SO thirty six. I know, I know, I know where you mean. I know you mean. They do like amazing, like peanut satay, yeah, chicken, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, I can't um, remember the name of it either. That was four, and then um, probably um, in Graz, there's a little cafe that has lady fingers. And 
I buy so many of them. (laughs) I literally for that week eat manor cookies and then those lady fingers like every day. Um, That's that's some fine living with the manor cookies. Yeah. I'm going to, what I'm going to do after this is I'm going to look up the names of all of them and send them over. The only reason I take pictures of food is so that when I go back on my phone, it shows me where the restaurant was. It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, keeping with um, our top five. Oh, I was going to say, I used to be yeah. with a, 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 a vegan tour manager uh, on a hip hop act who had saved every single location in his Google Maps with all the decent vegan spots in every single city and the great coffee places as well. So it was fantastic. You just wake up in the morning and be like, uh, where's good for coffee? And he's like, well, I'm going here for Avo Smash, and then I'm going here to get a Cortado, and then I'm going to go get a Long Black over there. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to follow you because this sounds amazing, and I don't know where any of these things are. Yeah, I um, I shan't be I, adding that to my service. Just <laughs> I well, I was going to say I I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, but when this is done, um, I have an idea for an app that will change our lives and make us infinitely rich so we can talk about yes. it <laughs> let's do it amazing i'm in keeping in with the uh the talking touring top fives yeah i love this one because it's fucking difficult can you do your top five venues top five venues all i'll say is that i really i love alliteration and so I feel like at some point you guys need to switch to a talking touring top 10, but. Oh shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but the or difficulty that people have top, had so far are the top, top five. I don't top, know if they can make 10. Top two also works. It's a little easier. Top two, top two. That's good. Um, are we talking about venues that are open or venues uh, of all time? Of all time. Of all yeah. time. The Astoria, number one. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Um, I straight in there, a venue that made me feel like our world was changing. Um, the first time we headlined the Astoria, we had no idea what it was going to be like. It was our first time ever in Europe. Um, the ultimate high where the show sold out. It was, we had never played to a thousand people before. It was the first time that that ever happened to immediately the ultimate low, which is the show's over. They throw our shit out into the street. Get the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, literally, like, I was walking around like, man, I'm fucking, we're famous. And then (laughs) out in the rain, in that back alley, bag gets stolen. I'm just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Two backstage in Munich. Um, Three. Six in Germany, um, in Berlin. Um, That's a good venue, just for the location, I think, as well. SO36. Kreuzberg is the fucking sickest place. Yeah, yeah. Four is also in Berlin. I don't know what it's called, but it's outdoor. It's like old ruins. We played there with Rage Mist Machine. It's like a temple air. Incredible. Um, In Berlin. In Berlin, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I have no idea where that is. And then to round it out, I would have to go Metropolis in Montreal. Um, it's I've not been there myself. It, no, I haven't. It's um, a beautiful old theater, but the way it's 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 kind of got a real um a brixton academy vibe where it has those like kind of landing layers that go down yeah. and when joe is really great you'll get like mosh pits per layer it's like a great <laughs> sick <laughs> yeah um but it's just the loudest i mean montreal i i think is as for anti-flag the most committed people to our band and our music live there. Um, and I've, anytime we ever feel like, Oh man, life is hard. We go play a show there and it's like, okay, everything's better. (laughs) (laughs) Really. They're really kind there. And it's, it's, uh, 
Uh, so, I've only done a, like a couple of Canadian shows. I think they were both in Toronto, and everyone is just lovely. They're so friendly. It's great. Yeah. That, that stereotype of the friendly Canadian is very, very true. Uh, it's it's one that's a hundred percent true. They are the kindest. But the thing about Montreal is Quebec is the, it's the bastard child of Canada, and so mm-hmm. the people that live there are a bit on edge or a bit they got a chip on their shoulder, and. Right. I think that that's why, I mean, all of the stuff like the, the early 2000s fat wreck stuff or like, you know, rancid green day breaking in the nineties, it all happened in Montreal and in Quebec first. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Like punk has always been bigger there. And um, okay. I, I think it's because, you know, like for a lot, a lot of time in the, in the early nineties or in the late eighties, um, Quebec was trying to secede from Canada and there was a, a, a higher investment in political knowledge and mm-hmm. empathetical knowledge, which I think is, you know, pretty akin to what punk rock is about. So I, oh, yeah. I, I suspect that's why. Um, but it's still to this day, I mean, like even in our, I'm glad to say that Antifagus had a slight resurgence over the last few years. Um, but even at our lowest You're welcome. Point, yeah. <laughs> even, at our, even at our lowest point, we would go to Montreal or Quebec city or, and, and feel like, okay, people still care. <laughs> it's, it's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, do you have an ultimate touring hack? Or you can answer that as well with, what item can't you live without on tour? Hmm. Well, I mean, I see now I only need my phone, um, hmm. uh, and it's true. And so I think that at this point, I've taken a more and more minimalist approach to touring over the last five years, where I just want to bring less and less stuff, um, and yeah. so. Yeah, I don't really have anything that's like a value. Um, what about that thumper thing that you instructed us all very clearly not to put on uh, bare skin? You oh, yeah. Craig, do not put that on your I, balls. I do have a massage. That's a massage gun. Uh, thumper oh, right. thing. <laughs> Fuck it. It's so good. I've been using it for donkeys of eras. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, the massage gun is pretty crucial to touring, and especially as my body deteriorates, I'm really anxious <laughs> to see what it's like to get back out there in hopefully six months, but maybe longer. Um, yeah, to see if I still know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, a whole extra hour of stretching, I think. Yeah. So, do you feel like you're going to be match fit? Are you match ready, or are you going to have to do some training before before um, the first show? I've been taking kung fu lessons since oh, June. Dick. Yeah, Such yeah, a weapon, yeah. Man, you're a weapon. <laughs> so I actually feel like I'm in great shape, but I do know that like there is no, there is no like I can run on a treadmill or I can I play ice hockey as well. That's like another one of my yep. hobbies that I do. Um, I can do any of that, but none of it is applicable to the show. Those muscles mm-hmm. are those muscles and so in that sense i feel like my cardio might be ready um but other than that like there's nothing i mean wearing a 10 pound guitar around your neck and bouncing around with it and having a beat yeah. it's like it's its own thing um so i have no idea all i know is i'm going to be really excited um and so that tends to you know erase any <laughs> Their pains or whatever have to go in a little like a delicate slow yeah (laughs) yeah yeah craig has been there because the show i mean this the beats per minute is up that like every like if if i'm pushing the pace of the show it can be teetering on going off the rails at any (laughs) moment (laughs) which that that sometimes is good and leads to unique things but it also could go disastrously wrong at it (laughs) when when you see the fear in the drummer's face just go (laughs) what the fuck are you doing absolutely 
Yeah, well, that's actually that's about an hour, so I think that's pretty much bang on. Yeah, a really good place to stop. Um, yeah, the Penguins two. play in twenty-four minutes. First game of the season. That's Penguins. Penguins. So yeah, thank good. you so much for coming on Talking Touring. Thank you, thank I, I, you I can't very thank much you for enough, coming, buddy. I am. I will be a reoccurring guest. I have no problem talking to you guys anytime, anywhere. Fuck yeah! Let's do it.